Why don't we go ahead and get seated and uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at the fifth chapter, and let's just get right into it. We're going to read the entire chapter and then come back to it. Notice what it says here in verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, he was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife, and then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. And then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Far, uh, Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and he went away in a rage. And his servants came to him and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all of his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I, I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will, not receive, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord Jehovah. Yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And then he said to him, Go in peace. And so he departed from him a short distance. But Gehazi, 
The servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him, and he said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, Please, take two talents. And he urged him, and he bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments, and he handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. And when he came to the citadel, he, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. And then he let the men go, and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant didn't go anywhere. And then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you? When the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it a time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. Quite an interesting passage, isn't it? You know, just seeing this, this ungodly man from an ungodly country, and I, and I think of what a wonderful witness this is for a, a king of Syria to, to hear from a Jewish girl that, you know, there is a prophet who can heal. God has anointed him and, and is using him, and if you send Naaman to this prophet, he can be healed. He can be healed. And, and, and really, what, a, what an unfortunate thing for the king to admit that out of all of his gods that he worships, Hadad Ramon is one of the gods, one of the false gods that was worshipped in Syria. But yet that god was not able to heal. That god was not able to help Naaman one bit. He was impotent. He didn't have any power. And I love this because God is showing again to all the countries around Israel, there is no one like Jehovah. Amen? There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. There is. There's no one like him. No one can match him. He who created all things. He who spoke everything into existence. No one can match our God. He's the creator. He created all things. You and I become so comfortable with that thought, but yet the world around us still doesn't believe that. They, they still believe that somehow there was some kind of uh, billion years, billions and billions and billions of years of somehow some kind of chemical processes coming together. Folks, if you understand anything about thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics, if you understand anything about genetics, we don't evolve. We are, we are falling apart. And for those of you who are older than 65, you're going, amen, brother. Right? We're, we're, we're going from a place of being all together to a place of degrading. And that's been going on for ever since the beginning of Adam. 
Even our lifespan has changed dramatically after the flood, after the canopy in the heavens was broken apart and all of a sudden those rays from the sun are now um, increasing our ages and, and causing us to die faster, not to mention all the diseases and, the, and the, just the diminution in the genetic structure starting to unravel and we're seeing more diseases and more deformities. And yet God created it all. And he knew everything that was happening. He knows everything that's happening now. Don't fear, folks. You know, there, there's plenty of things to be discouraged about in our country right now. And, and I'll be honest with you, I've been discouraged. And sometimes I have to read that psalm from David, I think it was. He says, you know, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Hope in God. I'm like, yes, thank you for that. I needed to hear that, David. You've been dead a long time, and yet your words are still reverberating in my heart and giving me encouragement. Because it's the Spirit of God. Let's go back to verse 1. Notice, Naaman, his name means pleasant. And I'm sure he wasn't a pleasant man, but I am sure that after this happened to him, where God healed this this idol-worshiping hired killer. Think of that. From a nation of ungodly people that worshipped ungodly deities. Demons, the Bible calls them. That's really what they are. They're not gods at all. They're demons. Don't you love the grace of God that he would be willing to heal a man that comes from that land doing what he does and yet nothing can stop God from touching a heart. I don't care what you've done with your life. I don't care if you're a serial killer. If you are sincerely repentant and you give your heart to Christ, you're going to heaven. More so than some of the priests in some synagogue or in some churches who walk around in their robes and their vestments, but little does anybody know they're drunks and they're molesting children. A serial killer can get to heaven before he does. Actually, he might not even make it at all if he doesn't turn from his sin and be born again, right? But notice, Naaman, his name means pleasant, commander of the army of Syria, was a great and honorable man. And notice, and, uh, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, meaning the king of Syria. Why? Because by him, notice, Jehovah had given victory to Syria. There's an acknowledgement here that it wasn't even the wonderful uh, planning of the king of Syria, nor was it this Naaman that gave the victory. They understood that it was God. God had given them the victory. But notice, he was also a mighty man of valor, which means he was a man of efficiency. He was a man of wealth. He was a man of, of strength. But there was a problem because he was a leper. He was a leper. And leprosy in the Bible was a skin disease that turned the hair on your body white and even your skin would turn white in color. And a person with leprosy was doomed to a life of separation, loneliness, and even death depending on the type of the disease that they had unless they were miraculously healed. 
We're not going to go there tonight um, in all of its entirety. We'll look at a few verses here, and I'll just read them to you for the sake of time. But I would encourage you to write Leviticus 13 off in the margin of your Bible, because it's a fairly lengthy chapter, and the Bible goes into great pains about describing how to diagnose leprosy, what it was, and how, to, and how they would go through and, and verify and, and, and shut somebody up for a season to see if it indeed was leprosy. There's a lot of uh, rules and things that they did to verify that, and it's all written there. But notice in Leviticus 13, verse 45, I'll just read it to you. But it was a life of inconvenience. It was a lonely life unless you were cured. It says in verse 45, Leviticus 13, it says, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean, and he shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and shall, be, and shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so now you've got somebody, while they're dealing with this, unless they're healed somehow, a life of loneliness and sometimes even death. I know today there's a, a disease called Hansen's disease, and there's two different varieties of it. One is called the lepra, um, lepromatose, uh, lepromat, uh, lepromatose type, I guess is how you pronounce it. It begins with a brownish-red spot on your face or your ears, your forearms, thighs, or that later become thickened nodules, and you'll lose your skin covering. They will become ulcers or sores with loss of tissue and then contraction and then deformity. And, 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 and then there's another kind called the tuberculoid type, and it's characterized by numbness in an, of an infected area of the skin and deformities such as fingers like claws resulting from paralysis and consequent muscle atrophy. And this is the kind of leprosy that we think of, but not all leprosy that I just described to you from Hansen's disease was necessarily the leprosy of the Bible. We don't know. It doesn't mention that particular uh, uh, flavor of it, if you will. But leaven, leaven in the Old Testament was used, as we know, in dough. And I bring up leaven because leaven is like leprosy. And leaven is also a type of sin. But in the Old Testament, it was used to dough, to cause, it was like yeast, to cause a, uh, a dough ball to rise. Like you, ladies, when you make bread, the similar thing. And because a little yeast is all that's required to cause the dough to rise, it represented sin. Because isn't that what sin is in our life? We, we let a little bit in, and, and that sin, whatever it is, is not content just to stay in this little corner of our life. No, it, it, it's, it's desire. It, 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 it takes on a life of its own, and certainly the enemy of our soul, Satan, wants that sin. It, it, it's never content. It never stays contained, but it spreads like leaven does, like yeast does in bread. And there were other characters in the Bible that had leprosy or had bouts with leprosy. We know even Miriam, Moses' sister. It tells us in Numbers chapter 12, verse 10, that because of her rebellion, she came down with leprosy, but was healed, praise the Lord. We know that King Uzziah, the king of Judah, because of his pride, he was struck with leprosy, and he actually died a leper. He wasn't healed of that. And leprosy was still occurring in the New Testament, even when Jesus was walking the earth, and it was spoken of as a type of sin. And again, a type of sin because it lies right underneath the skin. You can't see it. Like sin in us. 
I could be harboring some deep, dark sin in my life or in my heart. None of you can see it, but God can see it. And yet, if left unchecked, that sin manifests itself. It it produces in me actions, and then I, I start to act out on those things. And before long, that sin that was under the skin and quiet where nobody could see, now all of a sudden wants to have a personality. It wants to express itself in ways that are evil. And that's why we see the things that we see in the world. It's sin, like leprosy, that's just broken out, and now there's no containing it. It's like a raging wildfire that is unquenchable. And we see people running around like that. And that why is that important? It's important that we come to Christ. It's, it's important that we read the Word of God and let the Word of God be the thing and the Spirit of God to, to, to quench this nature of mine, to take me and to keep me accountable and, and to change my heart. I mean, when you read the Bible, read it as if you're like, Lord, I want this to touch me. I want this to uh, infect me in every possible way. Because listen, you and I both know this, that in the world, it's going to infect you. It is like leaven, and it's going to invade into your ears and your eyes, and every part of you, if you're not careful, it's going to take over. And, And folks, you and I are the only ones in the world that can testify that Jesus Christ... And the Spirit of God who dwells in me, the very Spirit of Jesus Christ resides in me, quelling those things, crushing them, not allowing them to express themselves, because boy, that sin wants to express itself in so many wicked ways. And God, thank God for his Holy Spirit. I'm so glad he saves, he, saves, he saves me and he saved you. Read the word of God and let it infect every party. Let it wash your soul like a heavenly dove bar. Pun intended, by the way. Dove. Yes, the dove bar. Just scrubbing me on the inside, cleaning up all the darkness, every area of my life. Will you let God do that tonight? Let him do it. But leprosy was under the skin and it spread that way sometimes, completely infecting a person quietly, and then all of a sudden it just breaks out, just like yeast. And that's why drug abuse and pornography, they usually starts off small and then grows to such horrific, monumental things. Drug use, you know, when you're a little kid, you start off with sniffing a little bit of Elmer's glue. Then you go up to, you know, the, um, you know, the super glue. That's a little bit more potent. You spray, you get some of that, and wow, wow. Then that's not enough. Then you got to do marijuana. Then you got to do cocaine. And then you got to melt or freebase heroin and inject it in your arm. It's a stepping stone. Every single thing is a stepping stone. The same thing with pornography for young men. It's, it's, it's first a catalog, you know, a Sears catalog. And then next thing you know, it's an advertisement on a legitimate website. Even Fox News, you, you know, I don't understand why, why do they put that stuff on Fox News or any, anything, you know? It's like you can't even watch an article without seeing, you know, something off to the side. And then that's not enough. Then here I am dating myself. Then the magazines, the porn magazines, then all of a sudden that's not quite enough. Then now, oh, every teenager has smartphones, even these young men. Do you know how pervasive pornography is amongst the teenagers? Young preteens? It would shock all of us, even within the church. Many men in the church are hooked on pornography, Not every man, of course, but there are many who struggle. 
And even ladies now are engaging in this stuff. And folks, we have to take... And then pretty soon, that doesn't become enough. And then it's, gotta, then it's gonna lead to actions. And then we see these horrible things that happen in our culture. But a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Just a little bit of leaven... Just a little bit of leaven. Jesus in Matthew 16 said this. He was speaking of the sin of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, Now when his disciples had come to the other side of the Galilee, they had forgotten to take bread. And then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we've taken no bread? But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith. Why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the, and the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor of the seven loaves and the 4,000 on the other occasion and how many bat large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I don't speak to you concerning bread, but to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not... Tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The doctrine of the leaven, it, it was the sin of the Pharisees and the scribes and the, and the Sadducees. They had all the right words to say. They were teaching the right things most of the time, but the big difference is they wouldn't do them. They would expect everybody else to do them, and they stayed in their Highbury Towers you know, with their robes looking down with a pious pucker on their face. The leaven. Paul speaking to the Corinthians. He spoke to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you can read it yourself, but in the first eight verses, but I'll just start with verse 6. He says, You're glorying. They were glorying in some of the liberties which they had taken that they thought that they had in Christ, but now their liberty was going a little too far. They were allowing it to go a little too far. And so Paul takes them to task with it. He says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Just a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leprosy. It, it, it's not content, it, it has to grow. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you have truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Going back to our text now, in verse 2, he says, And the Syrian had gone out, as the Syrians gone out on raids, they had brought back this captive young girl from the Israel, and she waited on Naaman's life. And then in verse 3, it says, She said to her mistress, If only my master were, uh, were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would um, heal him of his leprosy. And I think about this too. What a wonderful young lady. Here she is, held captive against her will, away from her mother and father, away from her homeland, and she's still willing to testify of God's goodness. You don't sense like any bitterness in her, you know, because if I was her and I was taken captive out of my house and I found out that Naaman was suffering from leprosy, I'd be like, <laughs> you're getting yours, pal. Right? But notice the love of God here just overwhelming this young Jewish girl. And she wasn't content to just keep it to herself. She's like, I know. And I'm sure they treated her well. But she says, you know what? I know that God can heal him. And I know the man who could do it. 
And so the king of Syria, this was probably Ben-Hadad II, he said, go now and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed with him and he took all this money, this 10 talents of silver. So this 10 talents of silver is somewhere between 750 to 920 pounds of silver. And then five shekels of gold, this is somewhere between 150 to 184 pounds of gold. And I'll use the smaller of those two estimates so you can understand how much money this is that the king of Syria is going to bring to Elisha the prophet to heal this man. As of today, silver was $18.67 an ounce. According to the math, that would be about $224,040 of silver and as of today, gold was $1,613 an ounce. That would be around $3,871,200. You put that all together and you're looking at close to 4 or $5 million. Think of that. <laughs> so then he brought the letter to the king of Israel. And now this king of Israel, we believe, is Joram. He was the king at the time. He reigned from about 852 to 841 B.C., and so here's the letter that now Joram from Israel, he receives from Ben-Hadad II, and here's the letter. Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. <laughs> and the king is going, what? Am I a god that I can heal anybody? I can't do anything. It seems a little interesting to me, seeing that the king of Israel wasn't the man who was uh, originally... Um, uh, You know, you wonder the motivation of the king of Syria to make a statement like that. And certainly, Joram, the king of Israel, took it as a provocation. You're provoking me because you know I can't, I can't heal. I can't heal anybody. Neither you can you, by, by the way, uh, Mr. You know, Hadad, who named your name after your, the God that you serve, the false God. I'm not sure of the motive of the king of Syria. It could be that it was an indirect indictment against the king of Israel because he was an idol worshiper just like he was and basically saying, look, I can't heal him and you know, maybe your God can too, <laughs> tongue in cheek. But someone said that one of your prophets could heal. And he may have sent the letter just in a, in a, in a state of order uh, because... He was the king over that area, so maybe he sent the letter to Joram because he knew that Elisha was in the same capital city in Samaria as the king was. Maybe it was just a question of order. You know, why would he send all of this letter to someone else when it should probably go to the king first so that he can direct it where it needs to go? We don't really know. But notice that it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes. Am I able to do it? And so it was. When Elisha had heard about this, that the king had tore his clothes, he said to the king, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. And I find this interesting too because Elisha hears of the king of Israel's conundrum and then he comes to his aid. You know, this godly man comes to the aid of an ungodly king, not to glorify the king of Israel, but to glorify God. 
And see, that's what a, a real prophet will do. He won't glorify himself. He won't, uh, he won't take the glory or put the glory on any one man. The glory will always go to God. Because Elisha was not a man pleaser. He was not trying to earn brownie points with the king. He had a heart for God, first and foremost. Then Nahum, in verse 9, went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And I find this interesting, too, because if you think about it, the, the government of Syria could do nothing. And I want you to put this in our vernacular today, and in our setting in America. The kingdom, the government of Syria could not heal this man. The kingdom of Israel, the northern ten tribes, he's like, I can't heal. I can't do anything. And so these two governments are like, we can't do anything. And then they come to a poor man in his house, a servant of God. Would the God that our leaders today would find men of reputation in the church and say, what do we got to do to turn this around? What have we got to do to turn this country around? Repent. <laughs> That's the first place. So they come to this man of God, and I love this because the people of God the Jews and the church will one day be glorified before the whole world when we are in the millennial reign of Christ. They look at us narrowly now thinking, boy, you're just the scourge of the earth. You're the problem, you conservative fundamentals, you believers in Jesus, you constitutional republicans or democrat, whatever you want to call it, you know, you guys are the problem. And yet, there's coming a day, folks, when God's going to glorify his people. He will be glorified first and foremost, but he's going to give us, he's going to glorify, he's going to make us, the Jews and the Gentiles, the church of Jesus Christ. We will be held in honor in that day. But not now, but in that day. So hang in there. <laughs> Verse 10, it says, And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash. I love this. He doesn't even get out of his house. He's, you know, and again, I, when, I, when I read this, it reminds me of, of and I, I don't want to embarrass him, but it reminds me of Pastor Bill Gallatin. If you, don't, if you know Pastor Bill Gallatin at all from Calvary the Finger Lakes, uh, his son is now um, overseeing the church there. But Pastor Bill is just one of these guys. Kind of reminds me of what Elisha did here. He just says, didn't even get out of his house. I just go wash in the Jordan seven times. Just dip himself seven times. He doesn't go out. He's not thrilled by the fact that this important man from a very important land is standing outside of his doors with his entourage and this whole thing of mess of gold and garments and silver. He's like, I don't care about that stuff. Just tell him to do that and he'll be healed. Very simple, nonchalant. It kind of reminds me of Pastor Bill in that way. He's just that kind of, that kind of guy. But notice, even though he struggled with believing it, Naaman, he would, that, that whether it would do any good or not, he finally did it, and the Lord blessed and healed him. It reminds me in Mark chapter 9 where the, the man, um, 
you know, had a son who was possessed by a devil foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he's thrown him into the fire and water to destroy him. But then the man says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And here this man, Naaman, had to believe. He had to act on obedience before God would do anything for him. Notice it wasn't even, I mean, there may have been a mustard seed of faith in in Naaman, but he was a pagan idolater. He just wanted to be healed, and he wanted to pay for it too because his heart wasn't right, and he didn't know any better. But God saw something in this man, And he had to act in obedience before God would heal him. If he would have dipped in six times and said, you know what, I'm done with this. God would say, well, you're not going to be healed. It's that simple. What would you do? How far would you go if God says to you, I want you to do this specifically? Would you do it? I'd like to think that we would all say, yes. Lord, if you told me to do something specifically and I knew it was you, I would do it, even if I don't understand, even if, I, even if my, my faith is just not quite there yet. Would you do it? And this man did it. It's further interesting that it was seven, seven times, not six times the number of man, but seven times the number of perfection and completion. Because when God was going to do this, it was going to be a complete and perfect healing. But obedience... Obedience was critical. You remember that even Saul or Samuel told Saul, he says, do you not, um, what did he say? Uh, And this is in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel said to Saul, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed or to obey than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Are you willing to do it? But Naaman, verse 11, notice he became furious, went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand before me and hold out the staff and, and throw some pixie dust on me. And, and all of a sudden, all this, you know, this something would happen and then everybody would get it on video and they would upload it on TikTok. You know, I mean, none of that was happening. And he was expecting something big. I want to see something. I want bells and whistles. Come on. I need something to help me out here. Help me out here. And Elisha says, no, just go dip in the Jordan seven times. And notice, can you imagine the expectation that Elisha had upon himself? Can you imagine the temptation? I'm serious. Put yourself in his sandals. Here is a very significant man outside your door waiting for you to come outside with a whole mess of gold and silver. More than, I mean, he would never have to do anything ever again. He could literally go and build a house on the Dead Sea, and, or better yet, in the Galilee. It's a much nicer place. And, and just live there forever and not do anything else. He'd sit back and, and chill out. But he doesn't do it. Think of, the, think of the, the temptation that would have been so great 
to accept the money and the gifts and the glory, but he didn't touch any of it. And Naaman, because he was so used to people being this people being the focus of anything supernatural, he wanted to see something. He wanted to see it happening. Herod did the same thing with Jesus. In Luke 2, it tells us that when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad for he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and he had hoped to see some miracle done by him. Oh, just... You know, pull the rabbit out of the hat. I just want to see it one more time. You know, and Jesus would not be used as some kind of side act. And neither would Elisha, because the same spirit who was in Jesus Christ was the same spirit that was governing the life of Elisha. I'm not going to do it. The carnal man always wants the show. Elisha wouldn't play the game. He simply told him what to do. And I love this, the wonderful nature and character of God, how he even takes this wicked man and is willing to help him. The Bible says that he causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. See, that's the God we serve. See, you and I, we we think wrongly so often because when we think of wicked people, we we, we only feel the, the righteous indignation of God when actuality, I think God's uh, indignation is, is very long in coming and God is willing to be patient and wait and wait and wait and wait. And yes, there is a time when he will judge, but God is so gracious. He wants people to live. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't delight in the death of man. He'd rather that the man would repent and live. God is a God of the living, not of the dead. Right? Can I get an amen in the house? Yeah, it's true. But notice verse 12. And so Naaman is like, Are not the Abana and the, and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Now, these two rivers, the Abana is the modern-day Barada River. And if you were to look at a map of Israel, you know, there's the Sea of Galilee up here, and then the Jordan River, then the Dead Sea. Well, right up here is Mount Hermon, and then over here is Damascus. And there is rivers, these two rivers, the Abana would come down from Mount Hermon, Hermon and go all the way into Damascus, right through the the city and this other, the far part of the river would go right to the south of Damascus. And this water is ice water coming from the snow-capped mountain of Hermon. Yes, even in the middle of summer, and I've been there, you can look up and it's 85 degrees outside and you look up and you can see snow on the top of Mount Hermon. I've seen it. And I'm in shorts and a, in a, in a, in a shirt. You remember Kathy recently? She saw as we stood on Mount Arbel on a clear day and we could see Mount Hermon in the distance, the snow capped, and that water would come down just pure and cold and crystal clear. Oh my goodness, the water was beautiful. It is beautiful. But then, think of the Jordan Valley. Now it's got to go from Mount Hermon all the way down the upper Jordan into the Galilee, down through the lower Jordan. By that time, it becomes so murky and muddy looking. Even today, the Jordan River is kind of murky and muddy. And so Naaman's going, are you kidding me? Couldn't he have just texted me while I was back in Damascus and say, hey, go to the, go to the um, you know, Abana River and wash yourself? It's a clean water. It certainly makes sense, right? No. Drive about 100 miles southeast and dip yourself in a muddy water. What? 
Are you going to do it? He did it. He did it, even at the exhortation of his servants. Wouldn't you have done much greater things if he would have asked you to do it? Why can't you just dip yourself and swallow your pride? Okay. But he did it. And notice, I'm sure his heart, each time he's going, oh, I'm wasting my time. And he goes down and he does it seven times. And lo and behold, the seventh time, he is healed. And it's obedience. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? And how refreshing these words of reason for someone. So he went down and he dipped seven times. And according to the saying of the man of God, he was refreshed. His skin became like a baby's again. And see, God knew the result of Naaman's obedience. And this man evidently came to faith in Jehovah God. Not in the God Hadad Ramon of Syria. No, he comes to faith in Jehovah God, the God of Israel. This man is a believer and probably in glory, I'm sure. When we get to heaven, we may meet Naaman. Can you imagine that, talking to him? What was it like? It blew my mind. The sixth time, I was still leprous, and I had one more dip to go, and I'm thinking, I'm wasting my time, and yeah, I'm so glad I did it. Because that seventh time, the Lord did the miracle, and I was, I had like the skin of a baby. I could have done a Skin So Soft commercial. I could have done a Johnson & Johnson commercial with that little pink little towel wrapped around me, you know? I mean, he, his skin became new again. And it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, where it talks about the washing of water by the word. How important it is for us guys to wash our wives in the water of the word. How important it is for to wash our kids to get them into the word of God. How important it is us to take the word of God and to read it daily ourselves. What are we doing? We are washing ourselves with the word of God. And didn't Naaman do the same thing? Wasn't it the word of God that he obeyed and then he was cleansed? And then he was converted. He's a believer. Yes, this man. He bathed in it. And he returned, verse 15, to the man of God and all of his aides. And he came and he stood before him and he said, Indeed, notice the, the testimony. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift for your, from your servant. And I, and I love this about God because, you know, here he is trying to pay back the prophet for something that God himself did. But that's all he knew. And he was still wet behind the ears. He had just been converted. His heart was just changed. And so there's still going to be a lot of stuff, some leftover baggage from his life and his world that wasn't quite right yet. But do you think God is, is upset with that? <laughs> were, you, were, were you the... Wasn't the moment that we got saved... Didn't it take a long time for, the God to, for God to refine us and to bring us to the place where we're at today? God is okay with that. He's not upset with the refining process. It takes a long time. The sanctification process takes time. God's like, I'm not worried. The man's a, a believer now. And yes, he's going to go home, and the, the king of Syria is going to go into his false god's temple, and the commander has to be there to help him Worship his God, and that's why he goes on, right? He's, he says, um, he goes in, but he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing, Elisha says. And he urged him, but he refused. So Naaman said, uh, you know, well, at least let me have a couple mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering or sacrifices, notice, to other gods, but to Jehovah. <coughs> Excuse me. 
You'll notice in your Bible that the word Lord is all uppercase. That means it's Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, Jehovah. He's basically saying, I'm going to worship Jehovah God from now on. I'm going to worship Christ from now on. All this other gods, they're impotent. And now I come and I find the one true living God and I'm staying close to him. And I love that. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. And so he goes on and he says, you know, part of my job is to help my master worship his God. But Elisha, just know that when I worship, I'm not worshiping Ramon anymore, Hadad Ramon. I'm not worshiping him anymore. And even though I got to help my, my master to go into his temple. And then uh, Elisha said to him, go in peace. He, he didn't say anything either way about whether he should do that or not. But he knew God would take care of it. And God certainly does. And so notice, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, look, my master has spared Naaman. So Elisha, or Gehazi, seeing these guys turn away, and you can see Gehazi going, wait a minute, come back. He's watching the bank go out of town when they were so willingly able, willing to give it to Elisha, this $5 million, according to our standards today. But here we get a glimpse of the character of Gehazi because it's been said that everyone has their price and it appears that this opportunity was just too great for him to pass up. He couldn't pass it up. And didn't Jesus say that no man can serve two masters? He will either hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Is that the tenor of your life? That was uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. But there are always these little opportunities that arise that expose or prove where our heart truly is. And sometimes it takes years, and all of a sudden an opportunity, a circumstance will come up, and then we'll realize, wow, Lord, I thought I was in a different place, but I can't believe I fell for that. I can't believe that my heart gravitated toward that, and the Lord has a way of exposing that, not to harm us, but to make us aware of it. So Gehazi, he ran after Naaman. Naaman comes down, and, he, and, he, and, um, and then he lies. And how noble of Gehazi to preserve Elisha's reputation, because he says the silver and the clothes wasn't for him, wasn't for Elisha, but for his guests, or, or so Gehazi would purport. So now he's lying. He's, not, um, he's careful not to bring Elisha into his deception too much, but his conscience evidently hadn't been too seared because he did two things. Number one, the scripture doesn't tell us that there were two young men coming to see Elijah, number one. And there was certainly no request from Elisha for the silver and the gold garments. So he lied twice right off the bat. Gehazi broke at least four of the Ten Commandments here. Four, what do you mean? You shall have no other gods before me. Well, evidently there was a God in his heart that nobody could see that finally got exposed today, wasn't it? The God of gold and silver. You shall not have no other gods before me. That was the first one. And then uh, the riches... Um, uh, or excuse me, in, in Exodus 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. That money didn't belong to Gehazi. And yet he took it. And it says, and then uh, 
The other one, the third one, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Gehazi lied about the two men to visit Elijah and the request for the money to begin with. So he, and then the fourth thing, it says you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his male servant or donkey or anything else of your neighbor's. And so Gehazi was coveting the silver and the gold and the garments. So at least four of the ten in this one action... And so Naaman's like, please take two talents. You know, Naaman's like, you know, I'm going to be going home with all this gold, and I was, I was perfectly fine giving it all. And notice that even Naaman's servants even carried the bags of silver and the loot for Gehazi. You know why? Because it was heavy. It was heavy. So here are these guys, the servants, carrying these bags of silver and gold, and it was heavy. And they bring it back for him. They even take it back to where he was. In Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, for the love of money. It's not just money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of it. It's the desiring of it to possess it. To, you know, and, and, and the love of money is the root of all evil. And when he came to the citadel, he took them from their hands, stored them away. And he went in and stood before Elisha. And Elisha said, where did you go, Gehazi? And notice he said, your servant didn't go anywhere. Lie number three. (laughs) He lied to him right to his face. Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing and all of this stuff? Therefore, the leprosy of Haman shall cling to you. So he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. Notice that God allowed the leprosy that was on Naaman to go on Gehazi. And you know, it's important for all of us Christians, especially those in leadership or anywhere in the church, to, to walk in purity and honesty. And to put all of these things that are sinful behind us and not to allow ourselves to be caught up in uh, receiving rewards and kickbacks and things of that nature. It's, it's, it's not for us to do. Jesus said, For everyone to whom much is given, to him much will be required. And to him who has been committed, um, uh, to whom much has been committed, of them they will ask the more. God holds those who purport to know him and speak for him at a higher accountability than others. James says, My brethren, let not many of you become many teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Yes, for those involved in ministry, it's so important for us not to you know, be looking for the kickbacks and the, you know, the, the benefits. If that's your motive, that's, that's a really unsafe place to be. Pretty interesting. So let's examine our hearts, you know, tonight as we, as we consider this, you know, just how God could take this ungodly man and with even, who knows, the amount of faith that Naaman had, but notice that God was able to meet him and he's able to meet you with whatever mustard seed of faith that we have. He's willing to meet us there. And he's not angry with you, folks. 
You may be frustrated with yourself. You may be angry with yourself because you want so badly to be different than what you are. And I I understand that because I feel the same way. I want to be further along in my relationship. I want to be be more free of the things that that I trip over. And and, and I'm ashamed at times that I'm, I'm not quite where I thought I was and where I want to be. And God's like, do you just have a little bit? I can do so much with a little bit. And hopefully tonight as we looked at Naaman's life, an unbeliever, a pagan man who maybe had a sliver of faith. Otherwise, he wouldn't have walked all, you know, driven by horse nearly 100 miles or so to visit the prophet. He had a little bit of faith, but yet it wasn't even in his faith, really. It was that too, but his obedience to something that seemed absurd And I want to encourage you to not be afraid of that. If God calls you to do something, it may not make sense to you. It may not line up on paper. It may be everyone else around you, even people in the church. You're crazy. You're losing it. Why are you doing that? Are you nuts? Have you lost it? And you can say, yes, I have. I'm nuts. I've lost it. And look at him. Make sure you open your eyes real wide. And look at him. Yeah, I've lost it. (laughs) I'd rather lose it with Christ than to have everything else and go, no, I'm good. Got everything planned out. Everything's going good. Got money in the bank. Things are set up. Yeah, man. Sweet. I'd rather be like Naaman who just comes and says, you know what? I'm not even sure I believe in this, but you know what? I'll do it. Because I'm sick of, of, of this disease. It keeps me from the people I love. I, I, you know, I've got all of this stuff, and Lord, you've given me great honor. You know, and I've got great honor, but I've got nothing, because I've got this thing, and I can't even enjoy it. And God's going, I'll, I'll, I'll heal you. Are you willing to obey me? <sighs> Whatever. Okay. Dip seven times in the muddy water. And he does. And God does it. Don't be ashamed of doing those things. Let God grow our faith. And also beware of being a Gehazi. Being greedy for things that don't belong to you. Things that you can't obtain. And then, isn't it true that just like leprosy, just like leaven, one sin begets another sin, and then another sin, and then you have to cover up that sin, and then you got to do this, and then pretty soon you forgot the story that you told this one to cover up the thing that you told the other one on the phone the other day, but now you've texted somebody and you told them something different, so now you're like, <sighs> you're tangled in your own web, like us. You're in a spider web, and you're just dangling there like Frodo Baggins. tasty morsel for Shelob. But God is so much greater, isn't he? And he wants to do wonderful things in your life. I want to encourage you to just fall in love with Christ all over again. Allow him to encourage your faith. Allow him to rid you of those things that are plaguing you. Can we do that? Let's do this. And let's, let's let God do something beautiful in the church again here in Calvary Chapel in our lives because folks again 
These things that we read are for our nurture, for our admonition, so that we can grow and that we can be a light to everyone around us. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a light. I don't want to be a grump walking around angry at what's happening in the world. I want to have a smile on my face and going, yeah, it's bad, but you know what? Our God is greater. He's got a plan. I don't understand it, and honestly, I don't even like it. But Lord, I know you are in control, and I trust you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him, and what? He will direct your paths. Amen? Let's stand. Lord, we thank you for this time together and pray that you bless us now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.